Welcome to Big Men Big Theology. I'm Trey. I'm Cody. I'm Jordan. Fellas. What's up, guys? We are. It's following all three of us. For the first, for the first time ever. We were, like six, we were like six or seven episodes into this thing, and <laughs> we were just now getting the full team together. Good grief. So Cody, you just went on a big mission trip to Ecuador. Tell us about I sure it. sure did. Yeah, so... We took a team from our church, Morning View Baptist Church, down to Ecuador. We have a missions partner there um, whom we support. And so we went down. He runs a Baptist Bible camp, essentially. We went down and we just served the kids who were at the camp. Mm-hmm. And so we played games with the kids. And our primary goal, though, was to share the gospel. And so mm-hmm. we broke up into like devotional groups every morning and one of us out of the group every morning in several different groups um taught on a bible lesson for that day and so we yeah shared and we had a translator there with us uh because those kids speak all spanish and no english um also if you hear us chewing right now we're uh enjoying some Great cheesecake provided by Emily Float. The one and only. Cody's who, wife. Who's hey, also yeah. with us. This Yeah, she is. She's, she's here studying because she wants to be a, an animal doctor. You want to. But just working on physics. It's uh, not physics. <laughs> so she's not, she's not even going to You know all the physics either. you need in the veterinarian world. <laughs> That's right. The, uh, so Cody, man, a lot of really good work for the gospel and a lot of hard work. Yeah, it was really Jordan, good. Jordan, what have you done this past week? You changed a lot of light bulbs, didn't you? I did. I changed a lot of light bulbs, <laughs> prepped a sermon, preached. There you go. Yes. Had a really good sermon on hospitality. It was really good. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, because it was, I was, yeah, because I was, I was curious going into it because we're so used to hearing expository preaching uh, at our church that like something a little bit more on the lines of something somewhat topical um, was it was fascinating because I haven't I haven't to be honest I haven't heard a topical sermon in a really long time. But it was and still, I don't even know if I would call it topical. But it was still expositional. Like it was right. a thematic sermon. It's on a theme, and you just went through three different texts in John and right. exposited those three texts. And right. So it's still an. It was our only topic sermon. of hospitality. Is kind of where I was getting with that. So I mean, it's just kind enough of enough yeah. about that. Enough about uh, let's not talk we, about that. Okay. What are we talking about that? We're today. We're, today we're going to talk about the the ever so hot button topic of justice. Hmm. Man, because Justice. everybody else is doing it, we figured, hey, we'll do it too. Why not? If everybody else can talk about it, why can't we talk about it? I mean, yeah. hey, we're in Alabama. We're in we're in Montgomery, where justice, the civil rights movement, all of those things uh, poured forth from and out of the state of Alabama. And why can't we yeah. speak yeah. to it and yeah, speak yeah. about it's, it? It's something you think through every time you drive through downtown Montgomery. You see all these great. Uh, monuments and just locations, whether it be uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's church on Dexter Avenue uh, or the new National Museum for Peace and Justice with the Lynching Museum and the Legacy Museum that's attached to it. And so living in Montgomery, we see those kinds of issues on the surface all of the time. That lynching museum is something else. so, So, Cody, what would you say justice is? At the heart of it. So I think biblically, at its root, justice is simply living out God's moral law towards your fellow man. 
Mm. That's how I would define it biblically. So what would be the moral law? <clears throat> so the moral law in Reformed categories is simply the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. Um, the law that sh- reveals to us not only how we are to live morally, but who God is morally. And so we are, yeah, we're not to worship anyone other than Yahweh. We are not to create idols. We're not to use God's name wrongly. We're not to break the Sabbath. We're not to dishonor father, mother, murder, commit adultery, lie, steal, yeah. covet. There you go. Yeah, so... Justice is about keeping God's law towards one another. Yep. It's about really Galatians 5.13, the whole law shall be fulfilled in one command. You shall love your neighbor yeah. as yourself. Yeah. So, Which is essentially the second table of the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus says that I have a commandment for you, and he says love God, love neighbor, that's not a new thing. He's simply boiling down what has already been given in the past into love God and love neighbor. And so the Reformed have historically seen that loving God is pointing to the first four commandments, and then the five through ten would be loving your neighbor. So recently we've seen, sorry, Trey, did you want to say something? No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Recently we've seen justice being done rightly and wrongly Mm -hmm. throughout um, our country. And can you speak to... um, just evangelical circles where certain evangelical circles are at in terms of social justice, in terms of um, how um, how we're, we're, we're sort of in the midst of a, somewhat of a crisis right now, even in um, how we view certain things. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like evangelicalism, at least from what it appears to be on social media, so take that for what it's worth, um, but it really is. And, and Cody's actually our social media guru here. He's our, <laughs> he's our guy. It really is almost at a boiling point. Um, I don't know if that's true in reality, but at least in the way people speak on Twitter and on Facebook about the issue of particularly social justice. And so I think we have the two most vocal sides of evangelism are the two opposite sides of the spectrum almost. And so you have one side who is actively pro-social justice in all of the different ways in which the culture is talking about social justice. And so that'll go from uh, mass incarceration to reparations to immigration policy. Um, all those different things fall under the realm of social justice on one side of the spectrum, um, which are all issues related to justice, so they're important, but they're being interpreted a particular way and fought for in a particular way on one side. And then on the other side of evangelicalism, we have uh, not quite the opposite, but almost the opposite of uh, we social justice is not biblical at all. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think a lot of these guys commit a word fallacy by saying, well, the word social is not in the Bible, so social justice isn't, isn't a thing. That's a terrible argument, but besides <laughs> the point... Um, <clears throat> That social justice is not biblical, and that because of because that's a reality, all of this talk being had is pointless. That it's actually detracting from what we ought to be doing. That it detract social justice detracts from um, the command to love God and love your neighbor. It detracts from the Great Commission. Detracts from the gospel rather than advances it upon the world. Um, 
and so I fall a little bit more closely with that side, um, with some different points of points of nuance. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it's a really complex issue, um, and so it should be thought through in a really uh, clear and um, yeah, just thoughtful way. Which is not what you often see on social media. You just no. see people throwing grenades back and forth, um, making really foolish arguments, making <laughs> really foolish statements, and just not thinking critically about yeah. the issue. Trey, let me ask you this. So oh, good. Um, recently, we've seen that if so, so we've seen people say that uh, social justice is the gospel. What would you say to a person? That says social justice is the gospel. Uh, I, I would I would first say no. <laughs> it, is, it is it is it is definitely not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now, do certain social aspects that we see, like certain things that we we come encounter with, can there be aspects of that within the gospel? Absolutely, Love, loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that like Cody was talking about the, the Ten Commandments. You know, if we can abide by those things. That we will see right justice being being done, um, but to to claim that it is the gospel, I, I think is is to throw out the most important chunk of the gospel, and, and that is that we are sinners who need Jesus, and that Jesus, as God, came down and and, and died on behalf of on behalf of that of for us because of that sin and bore that sin on his shoulders. And we're leaving out that, which is the most important part. Now, now I'm not saying that people who are more higher up on the social justice scale, you know, leave that part out. I'm not saying that, but I mean, it's just like, I I think you can make an equation to, to cage stage Calvinism to men who, who get in the cage stage when they come into it. And that is, that is, if it's not that, then like you are, you are going to hell. You are anathema, yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, you are anathema. And, and don't get me wrong, I think the, the 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 doctrines of grace and and what what we see now in modern confessional reform theology, I believe that that is that that is the truth so, of, yep. of the gospel. But yeah, so, go ahead. So what what do you say to a person that says, uh, if anyone thinks he is religious or a believer and does not bridle his tongue but mm-hmm. deceives his heart? This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows yep. in their yeah. affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Is that yeah. So is that a social justice thing there? Sure. In, terms well, of the in the sense of, so this is the way I think through social justice as a term. Um, biblically, so even though, as I mentioned before, a lot of people will commit word fallacies and say simply because the word social as an adjective is not applied to justice in the Bible means that social justice is not a biblical category. I think that's dumb. Um, you could make the same argument about the Trinity, right? The word Trinity is not used in the Bible, yet we affirm that that's a biblical doctrine and concept. Um, and so I would argue biblically, we want to use the word or redeem the word social justice, which there's a big debate on whether we are we should do that because the word is so um, hot in our um, current evangelical context. But we are called, there's a legitimate reality that we are called to be socially just, yeah. meaning that we are called by God to be just in the social sphere that he has us. That's loving neighbor. 
And so if that's what you mean by social justice, then that's fine. But a lot of the ways in which people are using social justice is not that. Right. And Yeah, and to build off of that, that passage that you just read, I mean, like, when we get to that point in the, the latter half of that where it talks about taking care of widows and orphans, that is the flushing out of what has already taken place in the heart. So, yeah, and so if, you, yeah, and if, if you want to boil it back down to God's moral law, right, our standard for justice, taking care of widows and orphans, in a lot of ways you could argue, is a fulfillment of the command to honor your father and mother. Right. Right, and honor not only your father and mother, but in the case of widows in particular, you're caring for other people's, right, right fathers and mothers. Um, but you and can't. We even, we even see that in a church context in First Timothy um, where Paul is speaking to Timothy about how to care for the elderly saints in the body. Right. Um, and then likewise, wor- following the world, right, that's idolatry. Yeah. Right. So again, when we think about justice, we're always thinking about it through the lens of, is this violating right, God's clearly defined standard for what is just and unjust? Right. Yeah. And so, like, for instance, like to back up to your question where, where, where people say, is social justice the gospel? You know, like that that passage that you just read, you know, they would like, it would be the same way of saying, well, me going up to somebody and saying, well, have you ever in your, it's since your conversion, have you ever visited and taken care of widows and orphans? And they say no. And I'm like, well, then you must not be saved then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah. though? Like, like you, you see how they, they like, they do hermeneutical gymnastics there, and they, they take it backwards. So it's, and, been, it's been helpfully said that the gospel is not its implications, and its implications are not the gospel. Mm, that's right. right. And so we could argue that biblically defined that social justice or being socially just is an implication of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? The redeemed heart desires by the power of the Spirit to obey God's law, yeah. right? a.k.a. be just. So that is an implication of the ju- of the gospel is that conversion creates progressively just people. That's good. So uh, I want to ask another question. Um, there are so let's let's think in terms of race right now. There there are there are people out there that say that, say that because you're not a minority, mm-hmm. because you are not a minority. You can't speak into this, and you don't have the you don't have the acumen to speak rightly into um, the needs of this of a particular race. Yeah, how would you respond to that? So that is elevating experience to truth, right? Saying you cannot speak authoritatively to any situation unless you've experienced it, um, which is a fairly modern concept. Um, flowing from the Enlightenment, there's a whole history of philosophy as to how that idea kind of came about, that experience equals truth. Uh, not going to get in, into that, but um, how I would respond to that is to say, would you apply that to any other category? Mm. So if you're single, you can't speak to marital issues. Okay, you can't Paul. even talk about marriage at all, right? <laughs> yeah, why can Paul, the apostle, write multiple letters pertaining to marriage since he was not married? Right. Um, I think a lot of this flows from what we've seen even in the resurgence of the biblical counseling movement um, with all of its pros and cons, but that this I, this good idea that the word is sufficient. Yeah. So we as three white men yeah. can talk about justice and we can talk about ethnicity 
not because we have experienced. I don't identify as white, by the way, Cody. Stop, you know Jordan. That. Stop. Just kidding. God, it's been tried and it has failed. <laughs> <laughs> but Gosh. Um, we can speak right authoritatively about justice and ethnicity, even though we have not experienced, for instance, the African American minority uh, way of life, which is legitimate. There are legitimate issues there. Yeah. Um, even though we have not experienced that, we can speak authoritatively about the issues in as much as we are proclaiming what the scriptures have to say. So we can proclaim... Which is what should be coming out of our mouths. Which is what should be coming out of people's mouths. Truth over experience. Yeah, in a lot of ways, we have completely revolved this debate about justice around sociology. Mm. So what are the current sociological trends in society? Um, At the head of that is critical theory and intersectionality, which are really big concepts. But those two things really are fueling a lot of these conversations. Break those down for us a little bit. So critical theory is what? So critical theory is, uh, goes all the way back to like the early 1900s. It does have like Marxist um, beginnings. And so that's helpful to realize um, that that doesn't inherently mean that you throw all of it out because we always want to think through different things in lens of scripture. So over the course of scripture, that's fine. But we want to, um, so critical theory is this idea that, um, and it's tied to intersectionality. Again, that experience equals truth. That's what. So in mm. regards to particularly intersectionality, because that's what I know more about. So if you have an experience, theory. what I've experienced, so according you to inter- speak to that. Yeah, so according right. to intersectionality, a varying degree, everything is in the categories of oppressed and oppressor. And based on how many levels of oppression you have experienced, that equals to how authoritatively you can speak on a, or a speak to or know a topic particularly justice. So for instance, a black male has more authority than a white male. According to According, according to intersectionality about justice. But a black woman has more authority than a black man because she is oppressed from both the black point of view and the female point of view. <laughs> and then you want to take it to the very bottom, you know, a black lesbian woman mm. is the most oppressed category in the world mm. because she is experiencing oppression on a whole number of issues that no person can speak to. Well, but what if she identifies as a white straight male? Like, does she just shoot to the other end of the spectrum? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, it's a slippery slope, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it really is. And at the end of the day, it robs scripture of its authority and its sufficiency. Right. Which is why a because lot of people it comes uh, from yeah, a man-centered so, experience. Yeah, so a lot of people will scoff and within evangelicalism of like, why is intersectionality such a big deal? Why is critical theory such a big deal? And it's a big deal because it really does rob Scripture of its authority and sufficiency mm. um, to argue that you can only speak to an issue if you've experienced it. Mm. Now, experience is important. We don't want to throw experience out the window, right? So I haven't experienced the African-American manner of living, and I don't want to presume as if I know what they feel, right? right? They've experienced things that I haven't experienced, and I want to listen to that, and I want to hear that rightly, and I want to... Um, weep with those who are weeping because of the situations that they are in. But that does not mean that we then get to throw what the Bible does say about justice out the window in favor of what the experienced desire. Right. Can you talk a little bit to, um, and maybe we can all talk about this, is there a sense in which white guilt should be a reality? 
Um, is there a sense in which that should be a present uh, thing in white evangelicalism? I, I don't know if there's a good way that white guilt fleshes itself out. I'm not going to lie. Every person I've ever seen that they like that like it would just seem from from the outside looking in as if they are experiencing white guilt, like it has never led to anything fruitful or beneficial. Now I could be wrong. And I and I'd, I'd love for for one of you two to tell me if I'm wrong or not, but at that the don't worry we will okay thanks <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one who hasn't finished seminary yet so <laughs> no I do think there's a reality that I think it's helpful just to know history that particularly majority white culture in America has oppressed minority cultures right that's a historical fact yeah and so I think it's helpful to understand that to affirm it not to dodge it but at the same time. Um, we are not biblically to be, we're not guilty for something we did not do. Right. Right. And which is a problem with the way in which white guilt is being used today and that it is often being used. And this is tied to so many different issues like corporate repentance, corporate identity, um, reparations, all of those different things flow from this is that what a, a, like we have to define biblically, what is guilt, right? What is sin? What is repentance? Right? And am I accountable for things I did not actually do, whether by, like, to use Old Testament categories, sins of commission or omission? Right. And a lot of the ways in which social justice is being talked about and white guilt and privilege and um, reparations, all of that, I feel like is, in a way, uh, throwing those categories clear biblical concepts out the window. Mm. So the Old Testament all over the place says that the child is not held accountable for his father's sins mm. and vice versa. Right. Right. That's a clear biblical category. Right. And there's no amount of injustice that negates that right. reality. Right. And so even when we look at passages in the prophets where um, Israel and Judah are being indicted for their ancestors' sins, right? they're not being thrown into exile because of their ancestors' sins. That's a part of it. Yeah. Right, but they're being thrown into exile because they are just as active in idolatry as their ancestors were. Right, they were right? guilty of the same. So that's sin. why they can corporately be held accountable, not because they're righteous and their ancestors were not, right. but because they are just as unrighteous right. as their ancestors. But bearing the weight of someone else's sin and putting it on your shoulders is as if you have committed that sin. Like who? Like that doesn't. It sounds like what Christ did for us on the cross. And so I would say, like, that is that is Christ's job to take that sin and bear it on his shoulders for on that person's behalf. Yeah. And, and so like we should not like like you like you do not act like Christ in this manner. This is this is a God like this is only something God can do. And yeah. and not not saying that And it's helpful to realize that our ethnicity or whatever social construct we want to create nowadays, race, whatever. Um it is a neutral thing. Mm. So I am not inherently more sinful than somebody else because I'm white. Right. I'm not inherently born into more sin because right. I'm white than an African American or a Latino or an Asian brother or sister. Right? And that's the problem with a lot of this conversation about white deal in particular and white privilege is that – and Tom Askell, the Dark Hatter Founders, had a sermon at the G3 conference on – white privilege being the original sin 
because that's how culturally it's talked about nowadays is if your whiteness is your original sin and it's not something that you could ever overcome, that you're always going to be held accountable for things your ancestors did or even things you're doing now that you don't even know you're doing, that your just mere existence in this world means that you are just abounding in perpetual racist sins towards right. the people around you. And that just is not a biblical concept. Right. I recently, I recently read a story about Charles Spurgeon. And really, uh, Charles Spurgeon had all of the ability to be a racist yeah. in his day. Um, he had an orphanage in Georgia, I believe, um, and he could have, I mean, he lived during the time in which... That was George Whitfield, I think. George Whitfield, maybe I wasn't, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing a few few people. But anyways, I was, reading story, uh, I was reading the story, I was the story about Charles Spurgeon, a man from Virginia, a tobacco, a former slave, uh, I believe his name was Jonathan Thomas or Joseph Thomas. You're going to say tobacco former? To, uh, Virginia, were, oh, he were, was, were he was a slave. He was a slave, so a slave to a tobacco, tobacco former. former. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, now I feel like I'm not even be able to tell my story. I was just confused. <laughs> you said he was a it's tobacco. It's okay, I'm confusing you, everyone. You said he was a tobacco <laughs> and then continued your Stop. sentence. Finish the story. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, he comes, he comes to, he, he gets freed and comes to Spurgeon's school. And Spurgeon was known to have a long-term depression. So he was known to be a depressed man. And here is this former slave, mm -hmm. and and Spurgeon. It was hard to console him at times. It was it was hard to really console his depression and his sadness. Yeah. And here is this man who had been beaten, had gone through slavery, and he uh, could identify with uh, Spurgeon's depression. Yeah, and mm -hmm. he was consoled by this uh, former slave. Uh, different race, different ethnicity, um, but they became the best of friends. They became the best of friends and really yeah. one of Spurgeon's uh, long-term confidants. Yeah. And um, I just found that to be of great encouragement. Yeah. Uh, the believer is the believer is neither Jew nor Gentile. The believer is yeah. neither um, slave nor free. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and a, I think a really fascinating part of that story is that. Um, the, that African-American brother um, even says to Spurgeon that he believes Spurgeon has endured much more than he did yeah. in slavery in America, yeah. which is a really profound, like, why would a former slave say something like that? Right. And I think it's because he had a much more eternal perspective That's right. than mm. we are often tempted to have. Yeah. And um, if you know Spurgeon, he was, the reason why his depression was so, so much and, is because he he wept over the souls of men. Yeah. He was constantly concerned about people's salvation, um, and and constantly. I mean, he even said at one point, "I want them to have to leap over my body to go yeah. to hell." Yeah. In terms of his evangelism, and so, um, yeah, just thinking about that relationship and, and between a former slave and the greatest preacher, probably outside of anybody in the Bible to ever mm -hmm. walk the earth. Um, it's just fascinating. Like yeah. it's fascinating, the low, the lowly, lowliest per people in this world can can really console the uh, the heart of one of the mightiest preachers. 
Yeah. That's that's really fascinating. Like yeah. we we can like we have that ability with one another, whether we're white or black or Hispanic or Asian. Yeah, yeah. and that's because God's word is sufficient. Like yeah. In as much as you are consoling somebody with the word, Amen. it yeah. really your experiences and your past. Not that they are unimportant, but um, that doesn't detract or add to the consolement you're able to give if it's you're sufficiently speaking the word right. to somebody in that struggle. Well, that, and he was a brother that could. Yeah. Right. He'd experienced obviously deep depression right. as a slave. Right. Yeah. And so he was able to speak. Right. Colossians one speak comfort to those in need of comfort um, because he he'd experienced that. So experience mm-hmm. does right. aid. It helps. It does. But it's not our where our sufficiency lies. That's right. Yeah. And again, that is the central issue in a lot of these discussions about social justice and how we are to apply justice in our culture is, okay, how can we apply? The question we should be asking is, how can we apply God's sufficient rule for justice, his word, right, his moral law? How can we apply that in all these incredibly complex situations? Yeah, if you can, uh, and maybe just talk just briefly, um, just 30 seconds, minute, um, uh, about the, the, and we might get into this uh, later, but would you find the current social ju- justice uh, document um, that's been released, yeah, a statement, statement, on social sta- justice. statement on social justice to be helpful, to be uh, good, to be, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you speak to it. Okay. Yeah, so I think largely it's true, yeah. right? Uh, I signed it because... Not because I'm at all some social justice hater. <laughs> um, I signed it because everything in it was true. And I want to uphold that. Um, and there's been a lot of flack about it. And there's been a lot of controversy about certain statements. But at the end of the day, I think the statement is true. And in as much as we use that statement helpfully, then I think it's helpful. Now, there's some people who have used it unhelpfully, using it as a standard for orthodoxy. Right? I think that's unhelpful. Yeah. Right. Because there's more to orthodoxy than just what's contained in that document. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't think we should use it as a beating rod to those who would think differently than we do on the issue. But I do think it's helpful to just, even to just simply saying, much like creeds and confessions, right? It's helpful to just put out there, not that it's scripture, but saying, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. Yeah. And so we can use that statement in as, in as much as we can give it to people and show it to people and say, this is what I believe the Bible does teach about ethnicity, justice, the gospel. Um, and to have a fruitful conversation from that document. And there's a lot of unfruitful conversations that have happened because of that document and the way that some have handled it. Yeah. Um, that's really sad and grievous because this is a really needed discussion. And a lot of people are th- you know, throwing in a dumpster fire because of the way they react on Twitter. Yeah, I mean- but I do think the statement can be helpful in progressing conversation. Yeah, so last thing, resources, uh, any particular books you would offer to uh, our listeners in terms of um, these issues? Um, yeah, so I think to give some books on maybe both sides of the spectrum, um, mainly I would say those who are on the other side of the spectrum from me because those are the ones I've read the most of, <laughs> um, particularly to So Mark. Cody's planning on writing about this issue soon. Just kidding. Potentially. <laughs> uh, so Jamar Tisby's new book, Color of Compromise, the, about the complicity of uh, particularly white America in racism from its incep- America's inception even until today. 
Um, and then he gives practical, it's mainly historical survey. He gives practical applications at the end. If you want to know my thoughts on that, I've written a review for Founders Ministries. Check it out on the website. Um, Woke Church by Eric Mason. There's another big book in, in this discussion. Um, there's another review of it on Founders, not by me, but by a guy named Alex Kochman, who I thought did a really wonderful job at being charitable and gracious, yet pointing out the flaws in Dr. Mason's argument. Um, that's a helpful book to read. And I think it's helpful to read books you disagree with because it helps you not to commit a straw man fallacy that's right. when arguing right. against the issue. Um, right. You well, need to be able to read and understand what the other side, quote unquote, right. uh, believes about this issue yeah. so that you can not break the ninth commandment against them. Yeah. right? Because that's in, unjust yeah. to purposefully distort what they are saying. And so I want, the reason why I read those books is because I want to not bear fault with false witness against yeah. my brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. And I believe they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, they've given me no reason to cry heresy. And so um, on the other side of the issue, there really hasn't been a lot written yeah. because it is in a lot of ways a current discussion. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful that people will begin like writing dissertations and right. um, <clears throat> writing more books um, I'd, I'd love to see uh, like a biblical theology because that's a big thing nowadays, a biblical theolo- theology of justice. Um, yeah. I'd love to see something like that written. But there are like books Shelby Steele has written about like white guilt, white privilege, those kind of concepts. So if you're a publisher, you can publish Cody. He wants to write a biblical theology of justice. <laughs> And so he said he would he would do that for us. And I really I, I really do I I, I want to get a PhD. I just throw this out there. I do want to get a PhD, and I'm I'm broke. I have no money, and so if you would, if you would, if you would like was, to contribute, but, but, once gonna, his, but once his wife is a veterinarian, he'll have all the money in the world. That is true. And so I was going to make a joke and say, well, what publisher will be listening to us? But then again, a few weeks ago, I said there's no way that that Jimmy Fowler or Joe Thorne would hear this message. And then they did, oh, and then they hit Cody up on Twitter, a, I'm pretty that's sure. That's because we have a particular friend yeah. who shouted us out. <laughs> and so without that, they wouldn't have heard us. But anyway, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're so nobody. all that to say, if you would like to create a GoFundMe for my PhD, then you are more than welcome to. <laughs> um, and so, uh, because this, this is an issue that I do think like needs to be written about from an academic perspective. And so if you want to contribute to me doing that, we love that. Got, well, yeah, you got anything else to say? We hope you enjoyed our, our interview of Cody today. <laughs> I didn't say anything by the way, useful. Before, I didn't, say, I didn't get anything. Before we close, I do want to say that I am in no way, shape, or form an authority on this issue. No, yes, but is. you do know drastically <laughs> more than we do. I, I don't want to come off as if like I am the white brother who just is you know, figuratively spanking Woke. everybody else. And I like, I, hey, I, 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 I want to say I, this though about Cody real quick. Cody is in the know in terms of these things. And he has studied these things um, for the last few years. I've, right. we've had discussions, yeah. many discussions. He's about not just this. watching YouTube videos. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's actually gone to the Bible. He's researched these issues. He's, um, I would say he's very knowledgeable, and that's why we wanted to interview him today. <laughs> but that's the thing, and like, and so like, like people at our church have been giving us a hard time about about the podcast. They're like, well, well, Cody's not really a big guy. I'm like, yeah, but he's got a real fat brain. He does. So he's, he, but, he I do think it's something to say as well that I like come at it from the perspective that like five years ago I would have gladly <clears throat> claimed the woke category. 
Um, and I really was falling a lot in line with a lot of what's being said. Um, but over time, it's become apparent that a lot of this social justice movement within evangelicalism is headed in a, in a direction I don't want to go. Yeah. And so that has forced me to study more. And so I'm where I'm at now, coming from very much so their side of right. the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Check us out every week, every Monday uh, with a new pack podcast.